Hebrews chapter 1. I just want to begin by reading the first three verses. I don't think we'll be long today, but I think it's important that, um, as I think it's always important that we review important things about the Lord, that we remind ourselves of sometimes why we say the things that we do, why we believe what we believe, and where it's founded and why it's important. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses read as follows, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And those are beautiful verses that give us an idea and an opening to a beautiful book that tells us more about who Jesus Christ is. But we see three important things that are brought together in these verses. And it's that this idea that Jesus Christ is the embodiment of three different roles that of prophet, that of priest, and that of king. And we see very clearly, it says that in times past, we had prophets who came and spoke to us, but in these last days, Jesus himself, the Son of God, came and spoke as a prophet. It says he was appointed the heir of all things, and if you own everything, then you are king. And as it says later on, he makes purification for the sins. He is our priest as well. And so you've probably heard maybe music that sings this or hymns or other places where we say that he is a prophet, priest, and king. So just very briefly, I want to touch on those three today. A prophet is someone tasked by God to speak the word of God to the people. This includes both proclaiming truth about God and in certain circumstances revealing God's plan for the future, talking about things that are to come. Many people in Christ's time referred to him as a prophet. We see this in the scriptures repeatedly. One example is Matthew 21 and 11, and it reads, it says, As the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, this is important that the people recognized him as a prophet. Now, there were many prophets over the years, uh, many, many in the scriptures. So it wasn't unusual to have a prophet, although it had been many, many years since a prophet had been in the land of Israel until John the Baptist and then Jesus Christ. So the people recognized Jesus at the time as being a prophet. Of course, Christ allowed this Uh, title, if you will, this role to be on him. And it says as much in Mark 6, 4, and Jesus said to them, and he's referring to himself, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. So even Jesus Christ didn't just rely on others to call him a prophet. He indicated that I am a prophet by saying this. 
Of course, we know that Jesus fulfilled this role of a prophet. He taught and proclaimed the word of God. Mark 1.22 says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as a scribe. There was something different about Jesus. It wasn't his training or his upbringing. It was the Spirit of God who was in him, I have no doubt whatsoever. And so we see that he proclaimed the Word of God. He stood boldly before the people and he told them the truth about who he is, about what he came to do, and about how we should live. We also know that he foretold the future. Matthew 17 and 22 says, And they were gathering in Galilee, and Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Jesus Christ foretold his own death, foretold his resurrection, foretold many, many things in the scriptures that came to pass. This is all a sign that he is, in fact, a prophet. Of course, he also performed many miracles, and he was, in fact, the very word of God. We see this in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus Christ is clearly a prophet because he is not just telling us what God wants us to hear. He is saying what God is saying. He is a direct mouthpiece for the Lord to tell us how we should live and what we should do. He is flesh dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There we tie in our Sunday night study for the last few weeks. Christ is not a better or a final prophet. He is the very Son of God and the superior prophet. He is the prophet. And everyone who comes before, after, or during is much lower than he is. But Christ is more than just a prophet. He is also a priest. A priest is someone who serves as a mediator between humans and God, sometimes offering a sacrifice on behalf of people to appease God because of their sins. Jesus is both divine, that is, he is partly God, and also human, partly human, and therefore is the perfect mediator. He is the perfect priest who understands everything that we are experiencing in life and yet was perfect because he was and is God and therefore can make a sacrifice on our behalf. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And so we know from scriptures that he is the one who is sitting there making intercession on our behalf. He is at the right hand of the Father of God in heaven, as I read earlier, and he is making intercession prayers for us. He is communicating on our behalf to God. And in fact, if you look at the, nearly the whole book of Hebrews, we are unwrapping this very concept 
of who Christ is, where he sits, and what he has done to be our high priest. Let me read a familiar passage for you back in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence, or yours may say boldly, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Jesus understands. We might think that that's not possible. We might think somehow that our circumstances, our trials, and dare I say even our victories or our successes are somehow different than what he experienced. But the scriptures clearly teach otherwise, that he understands and has experienced the things that we have. The temptations, the trials, the disappointments, the times of joy. He is our great high priest. And we can go to him knowing that he understands. And we can come boldly before him because he understands and wants us to. Now, we must do this with reverence. We've talked about this before. We must do this with fear because of who he is. But we must never think that we cannot go to him with our sincere concern or our issues. We must go boldly to him and say, Lord, help me understand. Lord, give me guidance in this situation. Lord, lift me up so I can do this thing that I must do. Lord, help me to understand. Ease my pain. Whatever it is we are going through. He understands and he wants us to draw near with him, near to him with confidence. Now, the other aspect of a priest, as I mentioned, is making often a sacrifice for sins. We see this in the Old Testament where the Lord uh, uh, took certain groups of people and he identified them as priests. They were to follow very certain instructions. They had different roles and duties. And many of those priests would make sacrifices on an annual and reoccurring basis for the sins of the people. Well, Christ did the same thing. Except he did it one time. And the scriptures tell us as much. Again in Hebrew, chapter 9, starting with verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and by calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of Goats and bulls and sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
And so we see the system that had been set in place that was necessary for thousands of years that there was some type of blood sacrifice to temporarily relieve individuals of the sin that they have, and we all have it. That Jesus Christ, as our high priest, paid the perfect penalty, having walked this world for 33 some odd years, never falling victim to the things that we do. Living a perfect and a sinless life, was there a perfect sacrifice? He willingly laid himself down to be sacrificed for my sins, so that his shedding of blood as the great high priest would for once and for all satisfy God's wrath if we should only believe in him. He is the great high priest. No need to be sacrificed again. No matter what you have done in the past or what you may do in the future, when the Lord saves you, when his blood is applied to your life, you have been relieved of your sin debt. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't it make you want to go out and tell other people, look, there is forgiveness of sins. This guilt, this condemnation that you are experiencing, this struggle that you think you're carrying all alone. Not only does he understand, not only can you go to him because he will intermede, he will intercede for you with the father, but he has sacrificed his life so that you don't have to carry that anymore. And so many times we choose to want to carry it on our own, don't we? I think sometimes this is a struggle that many have with finding salvation because there's still a little part of them trying to do it on their own. Or they're still looking for a worldly priest to do it for them. Brothers and sisters, if that has not been able to be accomplished in thousands of years, it's not going to start with you. The one and only way to the Lord is through Jesus Christ, who is our prophet and our priest. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Always lives to make intercession for us. You know, the Bible says he doesn't sleep doesn't slumber. He's not busy doing something else. It may sound cliche, but it's not like you're going to have so many people praying at once. You're like, you know, I can't take any more prayers. I'm going to get a busy signal or something. He is always there attentive to you. Think about that. (coughs) However many Billion people are in this world. If everyone prayed at once, you can handle it. Because that's who he is. Because he's God. So there is never a time that we cannot be saved. There is never a time that you cannot seek him as the high priest, asking for what you need, seeking him for who he is. He always lives to make intercession for us. It's beautiful, it's encouraging, and it tells us that he is, in fact, the high priest, the priest, the one who sacrificed his own life for me. And all the other priests who came before could only give an animal sacrifice. And even then, it had to be done repeatedly, over 
and over and over again. As it says here, the blood of bulls and calves and goats never fully satisfied the debt that we owed. Christ is also our king. A king is someone who rules over someone and has authority. David is a good example. King David, that is. He was called a man after my own heart. And God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7, And your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. doesn't mean that David was perfect. David is an example. David is one that we should look to because his heart was after God's own heart. He didn't live a perfect life. None of us do. And so you ask the question, well, is David sitting on the throne today? No. But his relative is. His relative, Jesus Christ. Revelation twenty two sixteen says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. You see, we know both by Jesus Christ's personal testimony and through the lineage that was kept through history that Jesus Christ is a descendant of King David. But he is the full king, the rightful king, the heir to everything. Think you own the car that you drove in here today? No. Do you think you own the house or wherever you're going to go to? None of this is ours. We don't understand the concept of a king very well in this country. You might think that you do, but you probably don't very well. I have a close friend, a couple of close friends, but one in particular uh, who's British. And it's very interesting to talk with him and understand the differences that just kind of go over my head. And the idea that the monarchy owns everything and they give you permission to use it. That's entirely different from how we go about our daily lives. In our country, we consider, well, this is mine because I own it, or this is mine because it was given to me by title or deed or something of that nature, that we have these possessions and that we are free men and women to do with what we want to. And while I think, in all honesty, that is a superior system, it sometimes fails us in our ability to understand who really owns everything because we get really comfortable and think that we do. And I think the best thing that we could possibly do is to realize that our King, Jesus Christ, owns everything. I am only temporarily a steward of it. I am temporarily blessed with everything that I have, including my family, to watch over and to care for it. It's not really mine. And I'm certainly not taking it with me. And I think this is often lost on us. And so we don't understand what it means to say that he is king. Now, often we think of a king as a political leader. And often kings are. That's absolutely what the Jewish people thought at the time. They desperately wanted a king. Not a king to tell them what to do spiritually necessarily, 
Not a king to lead them in that way, but a king to lead them out from under the thumb of Rome. And so they wanted to find someone who would lead a rebellion against another government, set up an earthly kingdom, and be an independent country again that they could worship. But Jesus disappointed them. It wasn't time for an earthly kingdom yet. It wasn't time for some type of political rule. Jesus Christ came to be the prophet and the priest and to be the king spiritually. His kingdom is not in this world, is what the scriptures tell us. And so they were looking in the wrong direction. First Corinthians 15, starting with verse 54 When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ is king. Nothing could stop him. His death could not stop him. Why? Because he owns and rules everything. He is in charge. Jesus, as the scriptures tell us, has all authority in heaven and on earth. It is the name that is above every name. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords, Revelation 19 and 16. And Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom does not belong to this world. And I don't misunderstand. It doesn't mean he doesn't own everything we have and own us. But the kingdom that he's talking about is a spiritual kingdom. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled all three of these roles as prophet, as priest, and as king. And we can see in that first chapter of Hebrews, where even this chapter I'm sorry, this book tells us as much. He is prophet, he is priest, he is king. And this is a tradition that has come down through Christianity for many years. It's not something we made up. I found the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Christ and Christ alone is fitted to be mediator between God and man. He is the prophet, priest, and king of the church of God. And I'm sure we could go back much further than that and find similar concepts and similar writings. So here's my challenge to us today. If everything that I said is true, if he is prophet, if he is a priest, and if he is a king, what does that mean to us? We must listen to the prophet. That's what a prophet does. They give us a message straight from God. Brothers and sisters, we have in print a message straight from God. If Jesus Christ is, and I believe that as an affirmative, if he is prophet, then we must read his word. If he is prophet, then when he tells us something through the spirit that he implants inside of us, then we must obey We must have somebody who is an intermediary, who handles the issue between us and God, who forgives our sin. 
We must have something that has been sacrificed to allow us to be in God's presence because he is holy, because he is completely set apart and we cannot enter his presence with sin in our lives. And we are born into sin. We are slaves to sin and we continue to commit sin almost every breath that we take. That is who we are. Oh, wretched sinner are we, am I. We must have someone who stands in that gap, and that is Jesus Christ. And we must have someone who rules over us. We must have someone who tells us what we should do, how we should behave, how we should use the resources that God has given us. It is leadership that we need from him. And so if he is prophet, if he is priest, and he is king, then we must obey. He is the very son of God. He is the final sacrifice. And he is the king of kings. Now, the reality is we can go all through our lives and we can hear those three things over and over again. We can sing songs about them. We can write poetry about them. We can put them on our doorsteps. We can do anything that we want to. But until it becomes real in your life, until you are saved and then set your path to follow after those things as true, it doesn't really mean anything. Hebrews also tells us, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. So the reality is this. You can go through your entire life, and maybe you know this mentally. Maybe you've never heard it before. At some point, you will die. We all will. And the scriptures tell us that when that happens, we will then be judged. And I guarantee you, the day that you stand in judgment before God, you will know for a fact that he is prophet, priest, and king. And you will either fall to your knees and he will say, come in, my son, my daughter, my prophet, my priest, and my king has saved you. Or you will fall to your knees and you will recognize that he is prophet, priest, and king. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So if what I'm saying to you is true, And I wholly believe that it is. With all my heart, I believe that it is. That he is the prophet, the priest, and the king. He is the one who fulfilled all three offices. Then my question to you today is, do you believe it as well? If you truly believe it, then it should be apparent in your behavior. And it should be apparent in your confession, in the things that you say. If you do not know, if you truly, fully believe it, there's only one way to know. That's to go to Him. That's to allow Him to draw you unto Him. That's to go to Him and say, Lord, I understand what's been said today. I understand the scriptures that have been read, prophet, priest, and king, but I want you to be prophet, priest, and king in my life and then stand out of the way. Stop depending on someone to 
save you. Stop depending on something to save you. Stop depending on anything in your own self, but fully lean into Him. Put your faith in Him, the prophet, the priest, and the king of this world, and seek your salvation. 